0: All right, folks, you are listening to the Ishai Fleischer show. Two weeks in a row, I am broadcasting live from guard duty. Uh, tonight, I am in a tower looking at uh, the intersection below me, so I have to keep my eyes peeled as I'm like, uh, you know, doing this. Uh, but I uh, love you guys, and I just want to wish you a shalom, and I uh, wanted to be with you uh, this week as well. I want to thank all the team that makes it happen, even though I've been doing it a little bit in different times. And I want to thank Ben and and Yochevet and Tabitha and Lou and Moshe for being uh, willing to be flexible while I'm in the IDF. In any case, uh, God bless you, everybody. Shalom. Uh, And uh, we are living in definitely uh, not such a simple time. uh, As we continue to have every single day here, uh, we wake up and and we hear news of uh, soldiers uh, being killed. And uh, my, my colleague, Noam Arnon in Chevron, Dr. Noam Arnon, said to me something. He said to me that Jebetsinsky used to say that if you want to capture the mountain, there's going to be a cemetery at the base of the mountain. Meaning to say that there's tremendous self-sacrifice that has to happen. It's uh, very painful. And the self-sacrifice does have to happen to dis- defeat our enemies. But of course, had we not done the incorrect things of giving away our land... Uh, to our enemies, then we wouldn't be in a situation like this as well. If we would have behaved like Middle Easterners, uh, like the way you're supposed to behave with it, with enemies from the get-go, then we wouldn't be in the situation. And it's not like the situation is uh, is about to be abated um, because we have, you know, uh, the uh, the defense minister Gallant came out with a phrase and he said um, we have a seventh front war, a seventh front war that we're facing right now, uh, and he said that we have Lebanon and Syria and Yemen and Iraq and Iran uh, and Gaza and, and Arabs of the so-called West Bank, Judea and Samaria. But I wanted to add to that a few other ones. One is um, the social media war, the narrative war that's being fought against Israel, the anti-Semitism in America and around the world that we're, that people are facing on campuses, and... and um, and also Israeli Arabs that have been proving themselves in the past to be a, a mortal danger to Israel. Remember May of 2021, the riots uh, that burned 10 synagogues. And, um, and uh, another danger is just the economic cost of this whole war. It's a tremendous cost, and, and we, cannot, uh, we cannot look away from that. There is a tremendous cost that's going to come to us. That's not maybe an existential danger, but it is definitely a danger for, for Israel. For the life of Israel. Okay, so that we, we're facing the Ten Front War. Uh, we are fighting hard, like lions. Baruch Hashem, thank God. But at a cost. At a cost. There are there is definitely tombs at the um, base of the mountain. Truth of the matter is, I didn't sleep uh, much last night uh, because I didn't sleep at all. Actually, I was on guard duty last night uh, from seven p.m. from eleven p.m. to uh, seven a.m. And then today I went to uh, Marat Machpelah, and just a little bit you'll hear that story in, in just a tad. So uh, the ten front war that we're facing is uh, is certainly not a simple not a simple situation. But I guess this is th- there's no going back. We have to deal with this thing head on. Actually, I was uh, as part of my IDF duty, I was actually on kitchen duty this week, which was really funny, and I took some videos and I had some fun and. I, I really washed a lot of dishes there, and I uh, haven't done that in, I don't know, 20 years, uh, if, if maybe maybe more. But it was fun. Uh, but it reminded me that humility is very much part of what we ha- what we need right now. We need to get back to basics. We need to not think that somebody else is going to do it for us or that technology is going to do it for us. We need to fight that jihad. We need to get it, get it out of this land. We need to wash those dishes. All right, so that's, I guess, what I learned from my dishwashing experience. Now another topic that I wanted to touch was uh, the phrase from the river to the sea, and uh, many folks have been making use of that phrase for their own propaganda or use against that phrase. Uh, like I think Ben Shapiro attacked the you know the notion of when people say that they want you know from the river to the sea Palestine will be free that 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 Israel will be erased. So I wanted to give a uh, three alternatives to what uh, from the river to the sea could mean first thing I got a call from a Muslim uh, pro-Israel Muslim and he says to me what do I answer when people say that Jews want to control from the Euphrates River to the Mediterranean from the river to the sea so I said to him first thing when it comes to the from the river to the sea that one that you're referring to uh, well actually that's a promise to Abraham that his seed will inherit from the river to the sea And that is the case. The Arabs are also part of the Abrahamic seed. And so, yes, that is a biblical prophecy and a promise which is being fulfilled. From the river to the sea is the seed of Abraham. So that's one thing. A second way to look at it is that uh, from the river to the sea means from the Jordan River to the Mediterranean. So there... If somebody says to me, "You Jews want to control from the river to the sea," I say, "Absolutely, that is the demarcation of our ancestral homeland, our God-given ancestral homeland." Uh, When Palestinians want from the river to the sea, what they mean is they want to erase Palestine. They want to erase Israel using Palestine in toto. We can't let that happen. So, from the river to the sea, Israel, good. It's a small plot of land of the Arab Middle East, but it's Jewish-owned and with Jewish rights. Uh, And when the Palestinians call from the river to the sea, I'm I'm doubting they mean from the Euphrates to uh, 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 the Mediterranean, they probably mean we'll get rid of Israel from the river to the sea. And finally, um, I wanted to mention that that one time I was with uh, Christiane Amanpour from CNN, and she looked at the Israeli flag on my uh, balcony, and she says to me, she said... "Um, you know, what What are these two blue lines? Do, do they represent from the river to the sea? And I said to her, I don't know, but from the river to the sea, I always thought, I said to her, that the Star of David represents the Jewish people and the twin blue lines represent the splitting of the Red Sea. And that's the Jewish people walking through the the, the split of the Red Sea, leaving slavery and going towards liberation and freedom. And she was taken aback by that. So that's another that's another way of uh, of thinking about from the river to the sea. Really, it's it's from it's just between uh, the walls of the sea, the Red Sea walls, where the Jewish people were really born uh, in in these waters on dry land. And when they came out the other side, they were a nation. And maybe that's what the flag of Israel represents. All right. So um, ten fronts. Three ways to understand from the river to the sea or between the between the blue lines. Between the blue lines. Do you like that? Between the blue lines. I think I like that. Maybe maybe that'll be the name of the show. Between the blue lines. I like that. <laughs> um, that's Israel. Speaking of Israel, we have a very, very dramatic Torah portion. Uh, this Shabbat in that Torah portion is the Torah portion of Vayechi. Vayechi and the spirit of Jacob was enlivened when he heard about the uh, when he heard about Joseph being alive, and he uh, he indeed uh, mounted. Uh, you know, he went into a carriage, got out of bed, and went down to Egypt. But on the way down to Egypt, he stops first in the holy, holy, holy city of Beer Sheva, and that's where he has a vision. Beer Sheva is a place of of visions. It's a place where Isaac got visions. It's a place where Abraham got visions. It's a place where even Jacob's going to get visions on his way down to Egypt. And it's an, it's an amazing and beautiful uh, set of, of verses. And, and I just want to say, Vayechi, it's not that he was enlivened. Uh, we, we learned that last Torah portion, that, that his spirit was enlivened. In this case, it's about his life in Egypt. <coughs> and indeed, he has what I call the Florida years, which are the kind of good years, 17 years that he has of kind of tranquility and family and also the awareness that, that, a, that a darker time is coming for the Jewish people to give them as much positive reinforcement as possible. And, uh, and before he gets there, that's where he stops in Be'er Sheva, and we talked about it last week, I'm sorry, we talked about it last week, that in Be'er Sheva he gets to this vision, God system. I'm going to be with you, and I'm going to bring you down, I'm going to bring you up, and, and Yosef is going to put his eyes on you. Now it's really the life of Jacob, and, and after that, that whole thing of, about his being enlivened, and uh, the promise at Beersheba Now he's in Egypt, and now he's finally dying. Uh, or, or, you know, our rabbis kind of say that Jacob never died. He kind of passed away, but didn't die. There's, there's like a, a, it's a, you know, it may just seem like a word choice, but it, it, there's something profound about it, and that he really, the, the righteous are really living. In any case, in order to properly die or to die in peace, uh, Jacob uh, has, has a request, and it's a big one, because at the time, Egypt was, was, uh, was zealously guarding its borders, not letting people leave or come in very easily. And the request is, let me be buried in Hebron at Maratha And he adjures Joseph to do so, and he, he makes him take an oath that indeed he's going to bury him at the Maratha And he even tells his son, his son Yosef, he tells him, you know, Rachel died on me, your mother died on me. In, in, in Bethlehem, but I but I need to be buried next to Leah at the tomb of the patriarchs and matriarchs in Hebron. That's the right place for me. There's something about Rachel. By the way, as I'm talking about this, I am looking towards Bethlehem, right now. Like Bethlehem is right right in front of me. Interesting. By the way, the Torah portion touches um, the cities of Shechem is mentioned, the city of Ephrath, the city of Bethlehem, uh, and Hebron. Of course, over and over again. Uh, and I think there might be a hint, a hint. I, I have a, I, have a um, I, think, I think I know where there's a hint to Jerusalem as well um, but in any case um, the Torah portion mentions all these holy cities the important cities of the book of Genesis uh, the, the cities on the biblical highway um, and um, the oath uh, uh, that, that Joseph has to make to, that he will be able to basically tell Pharaoh, listen Pharaoh I know we got this thing where we don't, you know, leave the land, but I had to make an oath to my fathers. I got to take him out. And so that's exactly what happens. So he kind of, he he kind of sells it that I need to, uh, to leave the land. And, uh, it was, it was against the Abraham, the Pharaonic vision, I think, that, that the Jewish people are going to totally assimilate in Egypt and instead uh, Yaakov is like I want out even though I'm just I'm dying I want out of Egypt and I want me to be a, my body and my my personage to be a beacon to take you guys out of here um, and so he makes Yosef swear because Yosef is able is going to be he's going to be powerful enough to do that but he still makes the brothers take an oath as well take me out of here uh, and don't leave me in this land um, and uh, take me to this holy place, and he says, "There, that's where I, that's where Abraham and Sarah were buried. A- Abraham and Sarah's wife. That's where Isaac and Rebecca, uh, and, hi- and his wife Rebecca, were buried. That's his mom, and that's where I buried Leah." I always say that this verse is very important because it was only through this verse that we learn that Rebecca and Leah are officially buried at the tomb of the patriarchs and matriarchs. It's a very important, uh, uh, a very important um, verse. It's informational. It doesn't seem informational, but it is, because we learn about these two great women. Um, in any case, uh, Joseph then then Jacob indeed passes away after blessing all the sons with special blessings, um, including giving the 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 monarchy to the tribe of Judah. Very important blessings, and they and they mirror the blessings that. That Moses is going to Moshe Rabbeinu is going to give to the tribes of Israel at the end of his life, at the end of the book of Dvarim, Numbers. Um, so you have uh, uh, this, these sets of blessings, uh, and you have Jacob a- actually passing away. He 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 kind of says, "That's where I want to be buried, Hebron." He lifts his feet up and onto the bed, and he expires. Uh, the sons, you know, uh, the, the Torah records how Joseph cried and how, how really he made sure that he would be finally buried at that tomb, at the tomb of the patriarchs and matriarchs in Hebron. So very moving Torah portion. And finally, Joseph says, when, he says to the brothers, when it's time to go, when it's time to leave the land, the land of Egypt, uh, then take my bones with you, you'll hear the magic password, pakot pakarati, that God will say, I, you know, I've now, you know, uh, uh, called on you to leave this land uh, and and don't forget to take my bones with me because there's two kinds of righteous people. One is a righteous person whose presence in the land of Israel is, is a signal for all time and then there's a kind of righteous person that's with you and he says, okay, I'm going to be with you during the dark times, my spirit's going to be with you but when it's time to go, take me with you. As in, who's coming with me? Who's coming with me? Very good. Okay. So and we, when we finished reading that, we had finished the book of Genesis. That means we finished Genesis. That means we, we now understand, you know, really with the Genesis of the Jewish people, the Genesis of our story. And I, I say this. If you didn't read the book of Genesis in your life, you don't know what the show is about. You don't know what the land of Israel is about. You you, you, you if, if you're a Jew and you don't haven't read the book of Genesis, your identity is flawed. Yes, I'm saying it clearly without like mixing words. Your identity is lacking. Our whole thing is based on the book of Genesis. You need to read the book of Genesis to understand what's going on. You have to understand it. There's some kind of noise above my head. What is that? A drone or something? I don't know. It's wartime. You gotta be cautious around here. Book of Genesis, uh, uh, Noam Arnon calls the tomb of the patriarchs and matriarchs the shrine of Genesis. That's very apt. Very apt shrine of Genesis. Maybe we should call the show that. Should we call it Between the Blue Lines or Shrine of Genesis? I like Shrine of Genesis, but please don't give me credit for that. That's Noam Marnone, Dr. Noam Arnon, my colleague and, and and certainly a mentor as well. Shrine of Genesis, awesome. Okay, so speaking of the shrine of Genesis. Um, today I had a chance to take a new friend to Hevron, to the Tomb of the Patriarchs and Matriarchs, and it's a special story about why uh, I did it. I recorded this on the road. Um, you'll hear the story of something that happened today. I hope the audio quality is good enough. I tried to use a, a microphone, but it didn't uh, work properly. Uh, and I know what the problem is, but in any case, uh, here's my discussion with Tomer Ohana, Uh, and why he's here in the land of Israel and why we went to Hebron today. All right, folks, Ishai Fleischer here, and I'm actually driving right now uh, from Maratha Machpelah and I have in the car a soldier who's a friend of mine, Tomer Ochayon, and what an amazing story he's got. This guy um, um, is on emissary duty on shlichut from the WZO in America in a community that I'm familiar with, Deal. Uh, the Syrian Jews that live in Deal, New Jersey, and um, when the war started, he reached out to the army saying, "Hey, I'm of age. I'm I'm a reserve duty uh, soldier. I'm a fighter. Um, you know, bring me in." And he couldn't find any community or any excuse me, any, any unit that would take him in. And finally, actually, the Akamaret Zion, which is the unit that I'm in, uh, said, "Yeah, come come on, fly in. We, we we'd love to have you." And so uh, I sleep in a bed next to his, and and yet another coincidence is that uh, today we were at Marata Machpelah. There's a group, at the Tomb of the Patriarchs and Matriarchs, there's a group of Syrian Jews coming in. And last night, uh, Tomer says to me, hey, are you going to Chevron by any chance? Because my synagogue is coming to Chevron." And I said, yeah, I know all about that group because I'm actually uh, the one organizing it. So um, I was able to bring him in to hang out with uh, his, the synagogue that he's uh, unshlichut at. Now his wife and kids are still back there uh, in Deal, New Jersey. Tomer, thank you so much for joining us. Manishman. Hello everyone,
1: thank you, Ishai. It's uh, great to be with you. Very good. we are a great that
0: I to Israel. I feel I feel that there's a great merit that uh, that I have the, the the opportunity to come and to uh, contribute here in here, it's Israel to the fight. okay, that's great, Tomer. Thank you very much. I mean, uh, you you decided to leave your family in in a in a country that's not like your country in New Jersey, uh, and to come here. That's a that's a big decision.
1: Yeah, you're right. Baruch Hashem, I have an amazing wife. She understands the importance of Eretz Israel, loves Eretz Israel, and understands the importance of the, I guess, the fight for it. She if they need you, go, I will be fine.
0: Aha, so she let you go.
1: Yeah, and uh, also I know uh, they stayed with the amazing, amazing community. Uh, they have a lot of support from them. Uh, so, Hashem, we can do our job here. Aha. So how long are you here now without your family? About a month and a half? Yes, uh, And uh, she told me, I'm fine. If they need you, stay. If the army needs you. If the
0: army, yeah. If the army needs you, stay. That's amazing. Okay, and how are you finding the uh, service here in Israel? You know, uh, I know you're not American yet, but... Uh, but like, are you finding it that you're having a nice time, uh, like in the service? Is it is it easier or is it you know is it hard without your family? You don't even have a home except you do have your parents' home here,
1: right? And I'm She she but Yeah. So I'm uh, with my family in Dill, New Jersey, in Shlichut. But we are so my wife's parents are here, my parents are
0: here, because 'cause we're Israelis, but we're on uh, we're on shlichut duty in 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 America. So you basically you're both on you're both on on shlichut. You you she's on shlichut there with the kids, and, and she's teaching and doing all the stuff, and you're on shlichut back here.
1: Exactly. You're on shlichut from the
0: shlichut. Exactly. They told in the beginning, to uh, so she thought she asked, there was, there was a question mark whether to actually bring the whole family over uh, for the war and then take the kids
1: and, and the wife. But, bring them to Israel. Said, we worry about uh-huh. there two the
0: so we, have, we, have to, we, we should not give up one emissary duty, one shlichut, for another emissary duty. Um, and so we have we have two right now. We have one with the American uh, community, strengthening them, teaching them Hebrew, teaching them Judaism, connecting with them, and the other one for, in Eretz Yisrael for, for the war. Uh, that's mm-hmm. amazing. How old are you now, Tomer? I'm 32. He's
1: 32 years old. 32. How many kids do you have? We have uh, three.
0: Three <laughs> children, oh <bro. laughs> Hashem. So that's amazing. Small children, yeah, yeah young children, young children, yeah. That's right. I understand. Okay, um, and uh, I guess my, my final question for you is, you know, how are you um, understanding this this war? How do you understand the situation? How are you, how, how, like what what are you seeing? What's touching you on the day to day? Okay, as so, Am uh, Israel, be
1: Shavu'ah October, Chatav Maka Okay, the, the, Israel, <laughs> Israel was struck hard on the 7th of October. So the, 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 the spirit in Israel is very
0: strong right now. We took ourselves by the hands, we understand, we have a spirit right now, and, and, uh, and we know that we have to defend ourselves
1: we feel uh, good we me and my my mates the
0: soldiers we feel the support of the nation we're not going to stop until victory uh, וחיה, uh, how was it today in Chevron to see your, your american wow. Syrian wow. Deal Synagogue how
1: was, what was that like for
0: you? Wow. So, so I was so I so gave me so much strength. I was so happy to see them. You saw how they received me. Uh, how, the, how that meeting was. Uh, I did see it. And it was very very Miragesh It was very uh, moving.
1: And um, it Gave me a lot
0: of strength to continue our our uh, our mission here. If I'm you came wow. to the forefathers and mothers, so nice. uh, which is which is a place you haven't been in, in a few years. We also went to Keverut V'ishai. We actually heard from the mayor of Kiryat Arba, uh, whose name is Eliyahu Liebman, and his okay. son is one of the Khatufim, one of the kidnapped. And so uh, he talked to the group at, uh, at the uh, cafe that we rebuilt, uh, the beautiful structure that we rebuilt at Kevrut Vishai. As we say, uh, with me and my friends in the Syrian community, as we say, it was a zechut. It was a merit. It was a merit. I want to also, uh, by the way, thank my good friend, Jack Shroer, who mm-hmm. uh, made really... He pushed the synagogues, Magen David and the other synagogues, to come mm-hmm. uh, today. And uh, Mishamayim, they came and then and then you came and you're in the bed next to me and you know really, uh, a lot came together wow. to make this special day and and we do um you know you know what i see through this i see the the importance of that shlichut mm-hmm. of connecting between the united states and israel between and these communities also, you see it it does make a big difference it, it it really it's really a big difference
1: so he says, uh, Tomer Ochayun says, the soldier
0: that's serving here in Israel while his family is on shlichut on emissary duty in Deal, in New Jersey, says that the fact that, that he came here and that now he's connected to the community, and they see that, that he was willing to jump on a plane and come and fight for Eretz Yisrael, that, 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 that connects them to the idea of the Mesirut Nefesh, the self-sacrifice that is needed for Eretz Yisrael, and the fight for Eretz Yisrael, and that itself is a great teaching moment. Okay, uh, Tomer, we want to wish you Beracha, as we say uh, in the Syrian community, Berakha. <laughs> and uh, we want to wish you success, continued success, and uh, hopefully you'll be reunited uh, with your family soon through Israeli victory. Um, and kola kavod, may Hashem give you continued success and Mi all the and all the blessings. Amen, amen.
1: Thanks so much for being thank with you. us. Thank you, thank you.
0: All right, folks, we're back here on the Ishai Fleischer Show. I hope you liked that story with uh, Tomer Ohana, one of the many, many heroes. Sorry about that, the communication equipment's going off here on guard duty. Uh, one of the many heroes, Tomer Ohana, uh, here in this good land. Speaking of heroes, we have here today our intrepid reporter, the one and only Ben Bresky, with a very interesting segment about the man who created the Uzi submachine gun and his family and the stuff that they did yeah. here in the land of Israel. So let's listen to Ben Bresky. This is going to be a real good one, and you will enjoy it. This is a great piece of history uh, from the land of Israel with our very own Ben Bresky. Take it away.
2: This is a moment in Jewish history. Lieutenant Colonel Uziel Uzi Gal of the Israel Defense Force was opposed to the army naming his new weapon after him, but the IDF insisted, and the Uzi became the most well-known firearm produced in Israel. This is the story of a man whose family escaped the Holocaust, grew up on a kibbutz, and developed a compact submachine gun. Along the way, we will learn about his father, a noted Bauhaus artist, and briefly discuss the film Terminator 2. But first, a little background. Uzi al was born Guthard-Glass in Weimar, Germany, the city where Adolf Hitler established the Weimar Republic, the government of the Nazis. Things looked bad for the Jewish community, and the Glass family decided to flee, settling in Kibbutz Yagur, an agricultural community in the north of the land of Israel, whose members helped drain the swamps and create thriving farmland. Among the residents, there was another German refugee named Kerala Ruth Siegel, who later gained fame as the talk show host and author Dr. Ruth Westheimer. The Glass family left Germany when Uziel was about 10 years old. His father, Eric Glass, was a noted artist. Born in Berlin, Germany, Eric Glass served as a commando soldier, aerial flight observer, and photographer in World War I in the Imperial German Army on the Western Front. He received the highest military decoration, the Iron Cross of the First Class. He attended the Academy of Fine Arts in Munich and the Bauhaus School in Weimar. He excelled in painting, photography, and etching, befriended other famous young artists, and was a member of several artist associations. But when the Nazi's Came to power, he lost his teaching job because of his Jewish heritage. The Glass family was used to an urban life, and when they moved to the land of Israel, the farming community was a huge adjustment. Glass took part in the first exhibition of graphic drawing in Israel. One of the most important works of Eric Glass was Lelot, Hebrew for Nights, a series of 20 lithographs which tell the story of the Nazi persecution of German Jews. Another member of the Glass family was Michael Gal, son of Eric and stepbrother to Uziel. In the 1950s, he co-founded the Sadeh Boker School in the Negev, Israel's second field school. He established the youth division in the Ministry of Education. In the 1970s, IDF Chief of Staff Rafael Raful Etan recruited him to create a special program for at-risk youth to be able to serve in the army. This program was called MAKAM, Center for Advancement for Special Populations for Integration into Military Service and Civilian Life. The recruits were called Rafool Boys and came from troubled backgrounds, high school dropouts with low test scores, or even youth who got in trouble with the law. The program was intended for them to have a meaningful and productive military service and help them succeed in their future adult life. Michael Gal went on to win the Education Prize for his lifetime of service, but back to his older brother Uzial Gal. As a child, Uzial was fascinated with weapons and once burned his hand trying to saw off the barrel of a rifle to make it more efficient. At age 15, he created a bow and arrow that could automatically shoot multiple arrows. During the British Mandate period in Israel, Gal was arrested by the British, who had strict laws against Jews owning firearms. He was caught with weapons parts and sentenced to seven years in prison. He served three years in the infamous Akko Fortress before he was pardoned. After Israel's independence from the British, the newly formed Israel Defense Force asked him to help streamline weapons. Gal was chosen because of a 30-page letter he wrote to his commanding officer describing a homemade machine gun. The 9mm submachine gun he designed was lightweight and easily manufactured. It could fire 10 rounds per second and rarely jammed. Although he opposed the idea of calling it the Uzi, it was unveiled as such at the 1955 Israel Independence Day parade. The Uzi successfully defended Israel during the Sinai Campaign of 1956 when Israel fought back against the Fedayeen infiltrators from Gaza and Sinai who committed massacres of Israeli civilians. Gao was decorated with the country's first Israel Security Award for his work by Prime Minister David Ben-Gurion. Uzi Gal never earned money from the Uzi beyond his normal salary. In interviews, he stated he was just doing his duty like a cook or any other army position. Gal was described as a modest and unassuming man who would have preferred to work in orthopedic medicine. After retirement from the military, he spent his time avoiding the spotlight and taking care of his wife and daughter. When visiting weapons exhibitions, he used to introduce himself simply as Gal without mentioning the name Uzi. One final footnote is the 1991 film Terminator 2 Judgment Day starring Arnold Schwarzenegger, one of the highest-grossing films of its time. According to a documentary on the film, an Israeli man named Uzi Gal helped train actress Linda Hamilton, who portrayed Sarah Connor, who goes from timid in the first Terminator film to rugged and determined in the next. The director and other actors, Arnold Schwarzenegger included, were highly impressed by the results.
3: So I put her with a guy named Uzi Gal, who was from an Israeli special forces unit, now acting as a trainer. He was very experienced he knew exactly how to train her, how to run and how to climb and how to do fighting scenes. And he taught her weapons handling when she finished with him and she went out for her first day of actual live firing and put eight rounds to the center
2: mass of the target. And she had never fired a gun in her life. That's the quality of
3: the kind of military training that he put her through.
2: Can this be the same Uzi Gao? How many former IDF soldiers have that name? According to the Internet Movie Database, Uzi Gao was involved in four films in the 1990s, either as a stunt coordinator or in small roles. Uzi gal inventor of the Uzi, would have been a much older man by this time, and given his personality, I highly doubt that a 70-something Uzi gal would have been cop number one in Batman and Robin. So, Uzi Gal, if you're out there, send me an email, and perhaps I'll interview you on a future podcast. This has been a moment in Jewish history. Thank you to Yishai Fleischer. Thank you to all the listeners. And shalom.
0: All right, Ben, thank you so much. You are awesome. and that's a very interesting story. And, and the Uzi you know machine gun is iconic. That's the word I was looking for before. It's an iconic. It's an iconic Israeli weapon. Israel continues to make awesome stuff uh, because part of what we do, surprisingly, is be great fighters as well. Surprisingly, because you may have not thought that the Jews would be famous fighters, but they are. Uh, if you didn't know history, you wouldn't know that, but history records that Israel are great great fighters. And are part and are part of. Not only are they part of fighting, they're also part of teaching fighting and creating fighting tools. Okay, uh, before we go on to our last segment today, here on guard duty in beautiful Judea, overlooking Bethlehem. Uh, before we get to our last segment, because we have one more very interesting segment. Uh, let's um, let's uh, plug uh, the the folks that uh, make the show possible. Our good friends at Prohibition Pickle, making Shabbat. Un- unprohibitive. That's right. They're lifting the Prohibition with Prohibition Pickle. Uh, they're making it holy and happy and healthy uh, and homey. So you have all those things that happen. ProhibitionPickle.co.il Our good friends at Retro Watch Guy, by Amimahem Bazman Hazem making great time, bringing us great timepieces from the past to wear it today on our hand. That's RetroWatchGuy.com Our good friends at JewishPress.com and JNS.org Cleaning Our Mind uh, they're brainwashing. They're washing our brains from the brainwash. That's right. We're giving it the unbrainwash. That doesn't mean that we're gonna we, we're gonna stop having a dirty brain. That we're gonna have a healthy brainwash, not a, a, a not a fake brainwash. Jns.org, JewishPress.com for your daily uh, Israel and Jewish news. Um, our good friends at Kosher Cycle Tours, uh, making the world go round and round, uh, by connecting us to the land of Israel and beautiful places that God has created and seeing it from the point of view of a, of a bicycle with a minion, with kosher food. And I can't wait to have a time where kosher cycle tours is the big rage uh, after this war, Bizrat Hashem, soon. And especially in time of Mashiach, it's going to be excellent biking all over the place. Uh, who else would I want to thank? Uh, Hebronfund.org, of course. Uh, this week's tour portion is Vayechi. It's all about the Shrine of Genesis. Shrine of Genesis. So come on, uh, support and connect and learn more about the Shrine of Genesis at hebronfund.org. And of course, uh, the ultimate shrine is the Temple and the Temple Mount. And learn more about that and visit uh, through highonthehar.com. highonthehar.com. My good friend Dr. MJ uh, will uh, connect you to the most important place in the world. So many more people I'd like to plug. I'd love to plug City of David and Shiloh and a Million Things. Uh, but right now, I'm going to also plug uh, fightforisrael.org, f i fight the number four, israel.org. It's really time to, uh, that's, that's my fun to get a lot of good stuff done right now, including uh, work uh, in Hebron, special work. In any case, uh, there's a lot of folks that, uh, that could use your assistance. This is the end of the year, end of the uh, financial year, that is. It's a good time to give. All right, uh, before we uh, finish the show, I have one more segment. And again, I'm on guard duty here uh, in Judea, overlooking Bethlehem. And in Bethlehem, something is going on that is very unsavory. It's, it's not only is it anti-Israel and anti-Jewish, but it happens to be also using the framework of Christianity to undermine Israel. Let's hear about that from my friend Brian Schrager, uh, who's on the scene talking with me uh, about a new threat, a narrative threat for Israel. All right folks, Ishai Fleischer here. Um, I'm on my day off, and of course I came to work here in beautiful Hebron. Uh, And here in Hebron I met my good friend of many years, Brian Schrager, who's an intrepid reporter uh, living in the Holy Land. He's non-Jewish, and he has a lot of connections, intimate connections in Bethlehem, and around Bethlehem, both with Christian Arabs, with Palestinian, Muslim Arabs. Uh, And also, he has been on the front line of reporting on something that it's not something I touch and understand usually, but it is a slice of theology that has been targeting evangelical Christianity. And the, the, uh, the, the, the main thrust of it is an organization called Christ at the Checkpoint. Okay, so this is not usually what you hear on the Isha'i Fleischer show, but I think it is very important to understand how anti-Israel organizations are plugging into what I call narrative trees uh, and using those, those narrative ideas to counteract the, let's say, pro-Israel, uh, 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 pro-Restoration Christian thinking in evangelical Christianity, it, using it exactly backwards. Brian, thanks so much for being with me here at the Tomb of the Patriarchs and Matriarchs today. It's
3: great to be with you, Ishai.
0: Okay, so what is this thing, Christ at the Checkpoint, and what happened uh, just a few weeks ago with a special kind of nativity scene? What's that about?
3: Christ at the Checkpoint is a conference that has been going since 2010. It meets every two years. It is actually put together by Bethlehem Bible College, and the leader of it today is a man by the name of Munther Isaac. Munther Isaac is also a pastor of what is called the Lutheran Christian Evangelical Church in Bethlehem. So, a few weeks ago, he put up a manger scene in his sanctuary at the front, and it portrays the baby Jesus... And his parents in a pile of rubble. Munther Isaac then has been arguing everywhere he goes that what is happening in Aza is a genocide. And he uses this term all over the place. The insidious thing about this, or a few things that are insidious about it, one is that it completely flips the narrative of, of the Bible. And and of Jesus being a Jew instead of being a Jew he's portrayed as a baby that is born into a Situation where Jews are trying to kill him so it actually is a very Insidious form of anti-semitism So it's been so successful that In terms of media coverage this thing has reached the whole world what he's put in this manger scene Even the Pope is now picking up on it not surprisingly, Bethlehem, excuse me, the city of Bethlehem did something similar. They weren't going to put up anything in manger square. They canceled Christmas. Any public celebration of Christmas in Bethlehem has been was totally canceled. But they did put up a manger scene that is reminiscent of what Luther Isaac put up in his church. It also portrays, in a bigger scale, on a much bigger scale, the baby Jesus in a pile of rubble with the steps and his parents and the wise men are dressed in all, all in black. It's very, very somber. And again, it's pushing this whole narrative that yeah, an old anti-Semitic trope is that the Jews killed Jesus, right? Not the Romans, <laughs> which is what actually happened. In this narrative, they not only killed Jesus, but now they're trying to kill the baby Jesus in Gaza. So it politicizes a religious conviction instead of going to the truth and the life of it. Jesus was a Jew. And and, and just one more theological
0: point, which you saying to me now, the Palestinians are. Explain to me that, like the Palestinians, are, like like this is a replacement narrative. This is like a replacement narrative on top of a replacement narrative. So explain that to me a little bit.
3: Well, the the idea is that. Jesus is very much the same as Palestinians today. And so they, they say, if Jesus was born today, this is where and how he would be born. He would be born today in a pile of rubble where Israel, Jews, are trying to kill him. <laughs> Not born as a Jewish baby in a Jewish city. in um, that's basically what they're doing.
0: Wow. Wow. That is, that, 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 that is brilliant. Now, now, here's the question. Is this? Does this have traction? Does this have traction? Like, okay, so you're an, you're an evangelical Christian. You're like, you know, let's say the, the folks that I meet in Texas, they are like, Israel is the hero of the Bible. God promised that he would return Israel to the land of Israel. Here it's happening. It's right in front of you, okay? Uh, but there are those who don't like that. They don't like that Israel is the star because uh, another line within Christianity is, we came to replace uh, you know Judaism and the favorite son aspect of the Jewish people. Instead, now Christianity, the church is the favorite son. It's the new Israel. So, so, so like a young person who is being raised theologically can can hitch a ride on the rail or on the tree of you know anti-Israelism or pro-Israelism is. Christ at the checkpoint and this way of thinking, this manger which basically says that Palestinians are the victim and the blood is being again uh, 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 taken by the Jews, that whole thing. Uh, is that having traction amongst
3: young people? It really is. It's very, very unfortunate. There are polls that indicate that evangelical support for Israel has dramatically declined, especially among millennials and even the younger generation. So it's working. It's uh, This... This narrative is targeting the children of Christian evangelicals, Mm -hmm. my my children, for example, who are very keen about issues of social social justice. This is portrayed as a social justice issue. The Palestinians being oppressed. And people who don't know about the situation, who aren't here easily buy into this. This is the only thing they hear on secular news, and then it gets Christianized in this narrative, coming from the likes of Muth Isaac, at Christ at the Checkpoint, and others of his ilk. Okay, so, this, so there you go. So so, so
0: the first step is uh, a certain progressivism, a certain con- let's call it a social justice, that whole type of narrative. It, it puts you into the zone of the Palestinians are victims, then it adds another layer of Christianity on top of that. Where where uh now here's my question is does this is my right in my say, in saying that this is a kind of intellectual narrative which is the Jew is the antichrist. He is the killer of uh you know all that's good and holy. He's the anti. He's that kind of thing. Right? Uh it fits into that 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 niche and it, it plugs in And then also, like any other, as usual, any other anti-Semitic feelings that you have get justified or licensed
3: with both a a progressive approach and now a Christian approach. And you're saying it is working. Unfortunately, it is. In fact, not only is there a dramatic rise in anti-Semitism on on the campuses of secular universities around the world, especially in the West and the United States, we're also seeing a dramatic increase of anti-Semitic sentiment coming from Christian voices. They are buying into this narrative. They're promoting this narrative, and it is generating a lot of. It, it's generating a rising tide of anti-Semitic sentiment, even among evangelical Christians.
0: Well, I have to hand that to uh, to what was the guy's name and the. Münther Mun- Isaac. Münther Isaac. What is he German? No, he's Palestinian. Uh-huh. I see. Okay, the Isaac. Okay, uh, so I just have to hand it to him because he's a narrative warrior who is twisting the narrative to his way, and it and it's got traction. Uh, a lot of times, you know, the the chicken and the egg about anti semitism is that is that anti semitism is um, is what's born first? Is it anti semitism first, and then uh, and and then a reason or do you, do you find a reason to become anti-Semitic? I mean to say a young person who has, you know, anti-Semitic feelings or is like, you see, you see, there you go, that's the bad Jews. Or another more, more naive person, he falls into uh, these, uh, these memes and starts to believe it and then becomes anti-Semitic. And, and one of the things that, that Jews don't always understand is that the left, it could be Christian left or secular left, is working for every person. They're working for the minds of every They're really working on mind control on, on the narrative. And I just wanted to bring this to the show, although you know our show is not a Christian show, but it, I wanted people to understand uh, how narrative war is being worked on in different tracks. Okay, do you see... Uh, there are people out there like um, like Charlie Kirk and others who are working very hard. Like, Do you see any hope to get folks back in line or do you think that we've kind of lost america and lost campus and and lost the the future of the
3: christian uh pro-israel sentiment i don't see any significant effort being made to counter the narrative as it's being targeted at younger evangelicals millennials and even younger ones they are being left alone there and and so it's very very disturbing it's very concerning i'm i suspect this is a trend we're going to see increase and it and in, in terms of where does the anti-Semitism come from, is it pre-existing, is it generated by these stories? I'd say a little bit of both. Christianity has anti-Semitism in almost its roots. This narrative developed in Rome. The Jews had been kicked out, and so the idea came up that they were kicked out because the Jews killed Jesus. And so this, this thing crept into Christianity very, very early on, and as a result, there is an underlying if subconscious component of anti-semitism in virtually, in my opinion, in virtually every stream of Christianity, and in many times it, it lies latent. But when it, when this kind of narrative comes in, it reawakens this monster on the inside, this narrative, and it becomes something that is easily latched onto because there is this pre-existing if subconscious component that came into Christianity very, very early on.
0: That's exactly what I wanted to understand. Thank you very much. You understood my question. You explained it very well. I appreciate it. Again, our show is not a Christian show, and a Christian theology show, but I really did want people to understand how it's working in the minds of others. You give us a window into that Brian Schrager out there in Bethlehem. Uh, God bless you and season's greetings.
3: Thank you. Thank you, I really appreciate it.
0: All right, friends, we are back here on the Isha Fleischer Show. Thank you, Brian Schrager, for explaining to us that important and, and not very well-known, uh, but but becoming more and more powerful anti-Israel narrative. we got to fight that anti-Israel narrative. By being awesome, that's the only way to do it. you got to be awesome. you got to be strong. you got to have an awesome narrative, the awesome narrative of the Bible, the awesome narrative of the Jewish people's return to the land of Israel. Let's stop hiding it. Let's start making it big. And if we make it big, people will see it and they'll love it because it's true and it's lit up. And it's awesome. And that's the only way to beat the darkness is with awesomeness. Not just with light, but with awesomeness. An awesome light. And I want to tell you that spending time with you is awesome. I want to thank you. I want to thank again uh, Ben and Moshe and Yochevet and Tabitha and Lou for making the show happen. Uh, Please go to ishaifleyshow.com Uh, Check out all the other shows. Check out the articles and the videos. Join us on Instagram. We're trying real hard there. Uh, Join us on on Twitter. uh, Join us on social media. Uh, If you want to help support us, please do so. Uh, And there's many more people who do support through buymeacoffee.com forward slash Yeshai. And I want to send you a blessing from Guard Duty. Because right now as I'm doing this holy work, I'm like the high priest. Okay, okay, I'm exaggerating, but I feel like the high priest in the sense that I have the power of blessing because I'm doing one of the most holy things in the world, which is to defend the land of Israel and the Jewish people and the God of Israel uh, in this world. He doesn't need our defense, but he needs our uh, agency in this world uh, to make a place for him. That's exactly what we're doing. So be part of that fight. I bless you to be awesome, to be holy, to be big, to be strong, to be loud and proud. And Bezrat Hashem, we'll see a a brighter day will sanctify all of those that fell. Their, their, their memory will not, uh, go, d- will not disappear in vain. Uh, their life will not have been in vain. Their death will not have been in vain. They'll have died for something because Bizrat Hashem, this is this story continues to move forward. The Netzach. The internal nation is not afraid. God is with us. Thank you for being with us. Wherever you are, lots of love, lots of blessings from the land of blessings. And Shalom.